This is a podcast about new crops. You're going to love it. Join us on The Cutting Edge, a podcast in search of new crops for Wisconsin. It's certainly a, a very important resource, and it's also a resource that we have to definitely treat with respect if we want to have it in the future. Welcome to The Cutting Edge, a podcast in search of new crops for Wisconsin. I am one of your co-hosts, Carl Dooley, with the University of Wisconsin-Madison Division of Extension, serving as agricultural agent in Buffalo County. And joining me as my co-host is Elena Voss. Hi, everyone. My name is Elena, and I'm from Juneau and Sauk Counties as an agricultural educator for UW-Madison Division of Extension. Lena, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of excited about today's program. It's not our typical crop that we plant. Um, talking about the true wild rice, and and um, I don't I don't have a lot of experience in it. But how about you, Elena? I don't. Uh, you know, we get it from the store. We try to eat healthy. You know, we enjoy that. But you know, we've had a lot of questions lately on people interested in rice. Cool, cool. Well, we have two experts with us today. We have. Jason Fleener, who's with the uh, Wetland Habitat Specialist with the Wisconsin DNR, and Chris Johansson, also with the Wisconsin DNR. So Chris and Jason, or maybe start with Jason, if you could just uh, uh, briefly introduce yourselves and, and tell us what you all do with the DNR, especially related to wild rice. Sure. Good, good morning. Uh, so uh, my position is in the Bureau of Wildlife Management and DNR. I'm based out of Madison. Um, so I have more of a statewide position. So um, my position covers a lot of different things. Um, it focuses on wetland habitat for wildlife, primarily for waterfowl. Um, so I, I help administer the state waterfowl stamp program for habitat projects. Um, I help our managers in the field um, with the resources they need to manage their infrastructure for um, wetland impoundments. And then uh, a cool part of my job is to um, help with wild rice conservation. So currently I am serving as co-chair on the state's wild rice advisory committee and I also co-chair the uh, joint state tribal wild rice management committee as well. Cool cool and uh, and uh, Chris if you could also just tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and and how you're related into the wild rice uh, story. You bet. Yeah, thanks, Carl. Appreciate the opportunity to be on the podcast today. So uh, again, my name is Chris Johansson. Uh, my title is District Wildlife Supervisor for the Wisconsin DNR. So I'm based out of uh, the Eau Claire office and um, I have oversight of the wildlife management field operations in about 19 counties in the western side of the state. So how that relates directly to wild rice is we have uh, habitat managers uh, within um, all these different counties and on some of our state wildlife areas we actually have flowages where we manage and sometimes we are managing for wild rice. Um, today I would say that I'm wearing uh, a, a different hat and that's just kind of my own personal hat where I've been uh, an individual who has taken part in harvesting wild rice for about 20 years in Wisconsin so I'm, I'm hoping I can share kind of some insight into the ins and outs of it and the practicality of, of how you actually go, about, go out and, and go about taking part in that activity. Well, great. Thanks, Chris and Jason. And I do have to give uh, Chris a little bit of kudos here because uh, he gave me my first sample of true wild rice probably 10 years ago and uh, found out what I was calling wild rice and eating before wasn't even close to what he gave me. But uh, why don't we start with uh, just a, if you could a brief history of what wild rice is and how it fits into the Wisconsin landscape. Sure. Um, I think I could take that one. So, um... So wild rice, uh, you use the term true wild rice. Um, and so I'll also refer to it as natural wild rice, um, which, is, um, which is a native plant in Wisconsin. And actually we have two species of wild rice that occur in Wisconsin. Um, um, one is commonly referred to as Northern wild rice. And that's the species that people will typically harvest for food. And then we have southern wild rice, or also referred to as river rice, um, which you'll find um, oftentimes growing in, in river bottoms in those type of systems around the Mississippi River. 
um, the Wisconsin River, a lot of the back channel areas that you'll, you'll find that. So um, there's, there's a long history of it um, that's really, um, really deep um, with, with native cultures in Wisconsin and, and since uh, European settlement also with, with settlers too. So it's, um, there's a lot of value um, for wild rice placed on, on it as a natural community. It's ecological benefits, cultural and spiritual benefits as well. Is there a real difference or can you distinguish the difference between the, um, the, uh, the river and the northern wild rice? Sure, sure. So, um, so if you look at, at each plant, the, um, the northern rice is actually a little bit shorter. So they, um, they'll look very similar except for, I guess, the size and dimensions of the plant parts. So the northern rice is, is a shorter plant. However, the, the seed is actually larger. And so that's what makes it so good um, for harvesting is because it's low to the water. So it's accessible and, and it's a larger grain. Um, so the southern rice um, is, can be very quite tall. And if you are on the surface of the water, it can extend um, perhaps up to 10 feet high. Um, so it's quite large, very robust. Uh, it's a larger stem, thicker leaf. Uh, but, uh, but as I said, the, the grain for that one would be smaller. How do you find the difference between that and like a cultivated, you know, what we're seeing in stores, things of that sort? Sure. I, I, I guess I'm not real familiar with um, how the plant looks with a lot of the cultivated rice. I haven't visited any, any of the, the patties, but um, yeah, so there's a difference. Um, um, so wild rice has been domesticated, so to speak, um, over the years and going back probably uh, over 50 years ago, it was starting to be domesticated and eventually through um, um, genetic modifications, you, you have this product that's um, suitable for harvesting by machine and, and then these large impoundments. And you'll find uh, most of the um, cultivated or farmed rice, you can you also hear the term paddy rice in Minnesota as well as in Southern Canada. Um, so the grain uh, of that rice, um, you'll, you'll see, or you'll find that in grocery stores a lot of times, you'll see, you know, wild rice harvested from Minnesota, um, which, which is great to eat, but it, um, the grain looks quite different. So if you, if you take a bag of that, you'll see a very dark, like black grain sort of rice, whereas the true or natural wild rice that grows in the wild um, is, is typically a, um, a lighter colored grain, you have a lot more variation in the colors grains, any, anywhere from a light um, light brownish color to, to different shades of gray and, and dark colors. So you have a, quite a variance in coloration. And so another difference is the way that um, the way that the grains are cooked. Um, so cultivated wild rice, um, you typically have to cook a little bit longer. Um, so the, the natural wild rice um, tends to be a little bit uh, softer in, in texture and it has a little bit more of a robust flavor. But, um, you know, if you were to offer me both, I would, I would certainly um, take and eat both in a heartbeat. But uh, I'm not picky, but I, I am a little partial to, to the natural wild rice being a harvester myself. So Right. Maybe, you. maybe Chris, if you could comment a little bit, you talked about river rice and, and I know you live close to the Mississippi and I don't know if we have much uh, of the river rice in the Mississippi backwaters, but in, in more general statewide, um, we, we know we have backwaters filling up with sedimentation and erosion um, issues. Has that done anything to the um, natural habitat for the natural wild rice or? Sure, sure. Yeah, certainly, you know, there are a number of um, limitations and I would say threats to, to wild rice. And, and one of them certainly is sedimentation and erosion, um, that type of thing where wetlands are filled in or, or they're, um, you know, the sediment is modified. That's certainly a threat. And, you know, specifically to the, to the river rice here along the Mississippi River where I'm beaming in from uh, the, the bluffs of, of Buffalo County and the river is not that far away. Um, we've actually seen an expansion of wild rice um, 
over the years within the National Wildlife Refuge system. And I think that part of the reason for that is certainly uh, over the years we have seen um, the, the river has become, you know, cleaner. Uh, it's become the water quality has, has gotten better over the last 20, 30 years. In response to that, we've seen definitely an expansion of wild rice. So, so besides us uh, harvesting and eating wild rice, uh, any wildlife really go after wild rice or is it pretty much just us? Go ahead, Jason. I'll let you okay. take that one. Yeah, yeah. I looked at Chris here. I, both of us can could answer these sort of questions, being biologists. But, uh, but yeah, uh, rice um, uh, is is very ecologically beneficial to a lot of different species, uh, to waterfowl particularly, to both uh, to both diving ducks and dabbling ducks. Um, will really find it um, um, highly nutritious and energetic, and it's especially important for migration. As, as these ducks will um, stop over and fly through in the fall and they'll stop in these wetlands and they'll, they'll find the grains of rice on the, on the bottom of the sediment and dabbling ducks, if they can reach down far enough, they'll pick it up. And then um, diving ducks, especially like ringneck ducks um, really depend on wild rice. So especially in Northern Wisconsin, it's, um, uh, it's a, a very important um, food source for ducks. Um, so not to mention other wildlife species as well. Um, muskrats um, really um, will utilize it as a food source and they help build their huts with the, with the material. Um, it's important for um, a lot of different types of birds that migrate, um, especially with uh, rails, uh, Sora rail and um, Virginia rail. The, the Sora rail is commonly referred to as rice birds by a lot of folks. Um, um, blackbirds will eat it, um, swans, uh, the, um, the list goes on and on. Um, so besides wildlife, you know, fish will util utilize it too. Um, the rice beds in the summer um, provide really good nursery habitat for a lot of fish, um, good area to catch pike, bass, sunfish. So, so yeah, I can ramble on and on about its benefits to, to the ecosystem. It almost sounds like you need a scarecrow out there. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness i would i i guess i'll just add a little bit to that as well kind of from a management perspective is wild rice is uh really uh unique and, and significant as well in some of the flowages that we have in northern wisconsin and central wisconsin that we manage where we've actually been able to reestablish it um and it's unbelievable the wildlife response that you that you get once you get wild rice into a, a water body and all those species that Jason just identified, they'll, um, they will definitely respond positively and uh, they, they find that source of, of food and they utilize it and, and depend upon it uh, during their, their annual cycle. So it's, a, it's a just an amazing resource for wildlife. Cool, cool. Since so you brought it up, let's go there. Um, talk about establishing it and uh... Uh, but how do you go about encouraging wild rice growth or how do you quote plant it? Uh, obviously you aren't taking a tractor and a grain drill out there. Um, uh, describe the process of, of trying to expand or renew wildlife or uh, wild rice plantings. Sure. Um, so, uh, so wild rice, um, you can plant, I, I guess. Um, so going back to the, the true natural wild rice versus paddy rice. So if if one were to take this on Wisconsin, um, so DNR highly encourages folks to to really understand where the source of rice is coming from. And and for um, genetic purposes, we um, we want to make sure that people are finding sources of natural wild rice. So um, if you were to buy it from a dealer or harvest yourself, obviously you know it's natural, but um, you want to know where it's coming from. So that, that's one of the most important things. Um, and if you look at um, rice, there, there's a lot of different genotypes of, of wild rice. And, you know, some are more adapted to deeper water. Some are more adapted to shallow water or fast flowing water, vice versa. So um, knowing the characteristics of the ecosystem in which it came from is important. You want to try to mimic that and where you're going to transplant it. So... Um, you do not need a permit um, from Wisconsin DNR to, to plant wild rice, um, which is good to know. However, 
there are some guidelines um, or, or caveats that we really want people to be aware of. And um, one thing to be mindful of is when you plant wild rice, you need to understand the surrounding area. So you have to picture where you're seeding um, that being a, a big rice bed and, you know, um, that following fall or the subsequent years. So um, you probably don't want to plant um, on, on a lake where, where you're throwing it um, on your neighbor's shoreline, you know, or, or near their shoreline that is. So it, it, um, it does get quite thick and, you know, if it's successful, it could, it could block um, travel areas for boats. So that's something to be mindful of or it can block, you know, um, viewscapes, you know, and some people will certainly welcome that, but not everyone. So you just need to be mindful of that. Um, so it can be planted on, on private properties. So riverbeds uh, technically are, are privately owned. And so, um, so is the material that stems from them. So technically, if you were to seed on a riverbed in which uh, the private land ownership extends to the channel, um, that area, um, is privately owned and held. And so if one were to harvest that area, they would need permission from that landowner. Um, otherwise, um, generally speaking, lake, lake beds of Wisconsin are, are the, the title of the state. And so that's um, where the public harvest comes into play. So, um, so yeah, in terms of, um, to get back to your question about how do you seed it or plant it, um, so wild rice is simply just broadcasted. That that's it. You just throw it in the water, and um, you just want to make sure that you're getting uh, green rice, uh, so to speak. So you don't. So it's unfinished rice. If you process the rice, then it won't germinate, obviously. So if you get a source of green rice, you want to plant it um, ideally within 48 hours after it's harvested um, to make sure that it doesn't spoil, um, and you just simply. Um, you, simply throw it and broadcast it in the water by hand. Um, it, it's that simple. Um, the, the depth you want to shoot for is anywhere between six inches to three feet where, um, where the high water mark normally is. Um, and you would ideally plant it somewhere where there's a very gentle or soft current. And that's where it will thrive the best. Um, an organic um, lake or river bottom would, would be ideal as well. So all those factors combined can, can help you figure out where to plant rice. Um, seeding rates recommended is about 50 pounds per acre. And if you can seed the same area um, two or three years in a row, then you'll be more successful in getting that bed established in the long term. So, you know, it's a lot to take in, <laughs> but there, there is some guidance out there if anyone's interested in looking into it further. And where would they look for that? Or they're looking for a dealer or, you know, where, where are those resources located at? I mean, this is a very unique opportunity for individuals. Right. Yeah. So if one were to obtain some rice, there's a few different options. One is they can harvest it themselves and we'll probably get to that in a moment talking about the harvest, um, but they can uh, just get it themselves and, and then transplant it somewhere else. Um, otherwise, they can buy wild rice from dealers. There's a lot of wholesale dealers um, um, in northern Wisconsin, and especially in Minnesota, there's a lot of them. Um, and, you know, I guess I couldn't point you to a particular place to find those dealers. I guess one good starting point would be to, to contact some of the um, Ojibwe tribal offices, and sometimes they have good connections with folks that, that will sell rice um, other than that, there are a handful of seed nurseries in Wisconsin that, that will sell it as well. Um, the, the catch there is, um, like I mentioned before, if you um, get rice, you would want to seed it within 48 hours. So if, if that can't be done, the next option is to actually take the, the rice in, in like a, uh, a feed sack and soak it for um, whatever period of time until it's ready to be seeded. So um, so a lot of these nurseries will, will soak the seed in, in these sacks. And um, just a forewarning, it can be quite smelly. So, <laughs> so if anyone were to buy it, buy that, um, just be prepared for that. Um, it's just the nature of the beast. Um, in an ideal world, if you know of a water that's going to be seeded, and if you know that there's a lot of ducks and different um, types of birds that will eat it, 
um, if if you can hold out until just before ice starts to form, so in a lot of areas that might be in like early November, um, that would be a good time to seed because a lot of the waterfowl that migrate through will, will have passed through by then. And, and then that'll make sure that your, um, your seed is not eaten before it has a chance to germinate. So on to harvest then. Um, I know it's kind of a art form, I understand. Um, uh, could you explain um, a little bit about the harvest? Uh, um, when, how you do it, uh, what you're allowed, do you need permits, et cetera? Sure, sure, I'll talk about that. Um, first off, I think that it, it starts with understanding um, what the activity is and understanding a bit about the biology of rice. We've talked about that, where you can find rice, those types of things. And I think that there's some really great resources for if, if there's someone listening and they're thinking, boy, I'd really like to take part in that. How do I do it? I think start on the internet and explore a little bit on our Wisconsin DNR website. We have some resources and then there's a fantastic resource available through the Great Lakes Indian Fish and Wildlife Commission. They have a lot of um, information on um, rice, uh, the, the uh, significance of rice to, their, to the Ojibwe Nation culture, um, where you can find it, that type of thing. And I know for myself every year, I start by taking a look at that website in August because what they do is they provide a, a great service in, in the fact that they are monitoring the rice beds and they provide on their website actually uh, the different water bodies in an assessment of how that, that rice paddy is, is looking or that rice bed rather is looking for harvest. So they have uh, just an objective rating like average, good, excellent, something like that. So so, so now, once you've kind of gotten your, gotten it scoped out, uh, are you going to go to north, northwest Wisconsin, north central, northeast? I mean, northern Wisconsin is a big area and identify your water body. Uh, the other things you need to be aware of is there are some uh, very basic regulations and um, you have to have a license. Uh, it's, a, it's a very minimal license fee. It's $8.25 for an individual. And then there's a bonus there if you have uh, that actually actually that license covers your spouse or a minor child if they live in the same household. So for eight dollars and twenty five cents, you're set on the license aspect. And then a couple other really important regulations are as uh, we regulate the size of the of the watercraft that you're using. So it can't be longer than 17 feet, can't be wider than 38 inches and then can only be propelled by by muscle basically so push pole or a paddle so most people utilize a canoe canoe fits that that bill extremely well um, and then to actually knock the rice we call knocking it in so you're trying to you're pulling that the stem over and knocking it into the canoe uh, we regulate the the size of the the sticks that you can use so 38 inches is the the maximum length that can be utilized for that and then the last really important regulation is um, uh, we regulate the hours. So it's 10 a.m. to sunset. And then some bodies of water are actually date regulated as well. So they will open uh, on a certain date, uh, then they may close and they may reopen. And that's just to make sure that they're regulating the, the, uh, the harvest through that way. So those are the important things. And once you kind of get all those identified and um, figure out where you're going and making sure that you've got your license, making sure it's the season's open, you've hit those regulations, find yourself a, a good partner is the best way. Uh, and then it's a, it's, it's a two-person activity. You hop in a canoe, um, you're in this rice bed and one individual is generally in the back of the canoe with a push pole. So they're just standing there propelling along and the other person is then uh, doing the knocking. So they are extending their arms out and extending the, uh, the stick as far as, as they can, and then gently sweeping back and pulling the stock back over the top of the canoe. And then it's a gentle stroke or a tap. So they're not really banging on it with that other stick. You're just gently stroking it, tapping it, and the, the rice that's ripe and ready to fall will, will then come off of, the, off of the head and then hopefully fall into the canoe. And that just continues back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And, and you mentioned it's an art, Carl. And, and I think that there, I, I'm certainly no artist. So I usually uh, end up 
being the push person. Uh, but the person that's knocking, I've seen some individuals that are highly efficient, more so than others, and they just develop some technique. But it's definitely, um, it's a thing of beauty, actually, to watch someone that's that's really great at it and, and watching them as they gently bring that rice in and stroke it. And, and when the rice is falling well, they hit that and it just dances off the, the head of the rice and falls into the, the canoe and you can hear it tinkle in. It's, it's a really... It's really exciting for an individual that's uh, looking to harvest a bunch of wild rice and knowing that in the end, this is going to be coming back to uh, as a processed uh, product back to your, your pantry uh, to eat throughout the year. It's, it's really enjoyable. Okay. Now um, I, I, I do some work with small grains. So uh, I'm looking at, we get, um, I can harvest even with my little plot equipment, I can do uh, a couple acres a day and, and uh, that would uh, equal a couple hundred bushel. So when you go out for four or five hours uh, harvesting wild rice, uh, how many pounds do you get in a good year, let's say, or an average year in the yeah. bottom of your canoe? Well, I would say that um, that might be a little bit different depending upon each individual that you ask. But for me, my standard is if I spend five or six hours in a canoe and we come back with a uh, hundred pounds of green rice, to me, that's a, that's a pretty darn good day. Others might say, no, it's 120 pounds. Uh, you know, they they might be a little more efficient than I am, but anytime that I can come off the water body with a hundred pounds of, of green rice, that to me is a, is a really good day. And that doesn't happen all that often. And it really depends upon the year. Sometimes we have really good rice, uh, yields um, and in other years it's not as good um, but you know I've had days when we've come off after four or five hours with with just 30 pounds of green rice but in the end you're, you're still going to have a, a beautiful finished product after you go through that process to to uh, preserve it. So so taking green rice to make it something that'll store and keep what do you got to do then? What I do is um, utilize uh, there's a number of of individuals throughout the state that have um, developed uh, mechanized processes, I guess, to, to do that. And uh, I use an individual up in, in uh, Spooner, Wisconsin. I know another one, another individual up in Hayward. Um, but it really is very similar to what Native Americans did. It's just using a, using a mechanized process, but the, the process is the same. First, you dry it out. So as soon as you're, you're done with the ricing uh, aspect, you, you come back to the landing, um, take it all out of the, the canoe and um, take it. Uh, usually what we end up doing is putting it into feed sacks and then bring it back to my house and I'll put it, spread it out on a garage on a tarp, uh, on the garage floor on a tarp. And then it just dries there. And that's extremely important. And I should back up and just say, um, even prior to that point, as you're out there harvesting the rice, it's really important to pay attention to um, things like getting water in the boat, getting mud, sand, rocks, those types of things. Um, my partner and I that I rice with, we always like to stop every 45 minutes or so and just kind of pick out some of the stems and some of the chaff and that type of thing that you get in there. So, so it really starts, the, the treatment of the, of the rice is really um, important if you want a really good final product. So, so you've done that, you spread it out, you dry it, usually dry it for uh, two, three days. Um, uh, periodically rotating it, breaking it a little bit, something like that, just to mix it around and that moisture comes out. And then uh, take it to a processor. And what they're gonna do then is um, um, take that rice and they generally batch batch them in their individual batches. And it's a process of, of heating it up and the first step and that dries it out more, it loosens the hull. And, and then it goes through um, another process where the hull is actually um, removed from the rice. Uh, and then the final step then is uh, basically winnowing where um, just taking a, a fanning mill and blowing all that chaff off. And then you're left with that really nice uh, product of a, a beautiful finished grain of rice. Cool. Now you, you mentioned the tribes a couple of times uh, and I know wild rice is really important. Could you, um, uh, talk about what are the um, what 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 first of all what native tribes are really involved with wild rice is it important to all the tribes in Wisconsin and um, what does it really mean to them as a, a in their culture? 
Sure. Yeah, I can definitely um, speak to that and certainly recognize that I'm, I'm not a member of, of the Ojibwe tribes, but I'm certainly, uh, again, a, a, a rising fanatic and learning more about the activity that I'm doing. Uh, you can't uh, go rising without appreciating the um, cultural significance of wild rice in Wisconsin to the Ojibwe people. And this goes back hundreds, thousands of years, actually, when um, the Ojibwe people settled in Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota area um, because of wild rice, where they were out in the east of, of where they are now. And, and uh, basically, they were um, this, there's an oral tradition that they were told to travel to where the, they'll find the food that grows upon the water and that was wild rice and they ended up in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan. So um, historically extremely um, important to their physical and spiritual sustenance and still today extremely, extremely important to their um, their tribal traditions, um, their, their, their sustenance, uh, all those things. Um, and uh, they play a huge part as well. Uh, and, and I think Jason could speak to this even more in, in management of, of rice in Wisconsin today. Yeah, um, really uh, for all the um, recognized tribes in Wisconsin beyond the Ojibwe tribes, there are six of them in Wisconsin. I, I believe all of them have um, some history or importance or connection to wild rice. Um, um, the Menominee is another one of them. If you think about um, the tribal word um, Menomen, um, that's um, it has a lot of different um, ways that can be written, but that's the root word of, of the Menominee people as well. So um, beyond that, yeah, I think um, all the tribes have um, some connection to it. And even um, further west, um, beyond Wisconsin, you have the Dakota people too, who also have a deep connection with wild rice. and going back hundreds of years, there was often wars um, over wild rice uh, between tribal peoples as well. And that speaks to how important it is. Um, so, you know, it's not just a, a resource, it's, um, it has a deep spiritual connection too with tribal people. And, um, you know, I think um, that's lost on a lot of, um, a lot of non-native people um, just due to that spiritual connection. Um, and, and it's not just a resource, it, it's a being. Um, so um, it's something that um, really needs to be understood, I think. Um, so with the, with the Ojibwe uh, tribes, there are six in Wisconsin, and what's really important about our history is in, in the early to mid-1800s, there were um, uh, treaties with the U.S. government, and, and in those treaties, it, it asserted that um, uh, beyond reservations that um, in the ceded territory of Wisconsin that, that the Ojibwe tribes have especially have rights to, um, to harvesting wild rice and that was specifically pointed out. And um, that was uh, solidified in the Voigt case, um, um, not so, uh, so much in the distant past in the 1980s. And, and with that, um, um, the, the Voigt task force was formed. And then also um, that's how our joint um, wild rice committee was formed. And so, um, that um, it formed a, a good relationship between um, the tribes and uh, the Wisconsin DNR to, um, to manage wild rice. And so we, we work cooperatively on, on a lot of projects. And, um, and we, um, as Chris mentioned earlier about the date regulated lakes, and we work with um, the tribal rice chiefs and figuring out when the best time is to open those lakes in terms of when it's ready. So so yeah, there's a long history between uh, the tribes and the state and, and, the, and the federal government. You talked about how, you know, some of these different national wildlife areas, uh, the right, you know, there's more and more rice and then there's the public harvesting, you know, how does that process work for someone, you know, that wants to potentially get into it, um, but don't want to step on toes or, you know, cause any hiccups with another person that's also public harvesting, you know, can you kind of talk through that process? You mean is um, just make sure I understand your question correctly. So let's say you end up at a boat landing and, and there's, you know, two, three people and you all want to go out there at the same time. Yep. Yep. Sure. Sure. <laughs> um, hey, Jason mentioned rice wars. We don't really want to have any more. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, we, we definitely do not want to have rice wars. Um, well, a, a couple thoughts about that. Um, first off, 
generally a lot of our uh, northern Wisconsin lakes where we have large rice beds are, are big enough where, um, you, you know, you can, you can have uh, a fair number of people out there as long as they're respectful and, and, and uh, respecting each other's space. And generally when you, when you have a nice big rice bed, what you'll end up doing is you're, you're just going in a straight line. So you'll pick a line and you're going to, you know, it might be 200 yards long and you just push pulling along uh, you've got your other person knocking and then you get to the end of that bed, turn around and come back. So it's not like there's a lot of traffic going, you know, in and out, back and forth. You all kind of get on a, get on a course and you take that. And, and I, I can say honestly, in 20 years of, of ricing that I've never been on a, on a body of water where I felt like, um, oh, there's too many people here. We're, we're competing. Um, usually even in years where, maybe the rice crop is not the greatest across the whole state, but you've got just a couple of bodies of water where it's, where it's pretty good. You know, in those years, then you'll have more people showing up at one specific lake. And even in those situations, uh, people are really respectful of each other, giving each other space. And, and uh, I've never seen an instance where, you know, we're, we're approaching a rice war. So, um, (laughs) But that being said, I, I think it's important for, you know, for, for folks to know if they're, if they're new to it. Um, the other thing is if you're standing at a boat land, and you're both going out, you know, just talk, where are you going? You know, which way are you going? And, and if there's, you know, two beds on a, two areas on a, on a lake that's got uh, rice on it, uh, you know, why not separate and, and go out and, and uh, take a different part of the lake. But mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, even that, it's, it's, it's kind of a fun activity because it's, you know, it's, it's relatively quiet. And as you're going along, you, you sometimes you can't see because the rice is so tall, you don't even see anyone else. You just periodically see a push pole come up into the air and see the top of someone's head or something like that. And, and, you know, it's not, there's not a lot of uh, noise or commotion. There's no boats or there's no motors running. So you'll be going along and all of a sudden, geez, there's somebody right there and you'll pass and, and you don't even realize it because it is such kind of a quiet solitude activity. One thing I'll add to that is I think between rice harvesters, I think um, it's not so much a space issue that's, that causes conflict. I think what um, really gets to some harvesters is that other folks, whether if they're just beginning harvesters or, or veterans for that matter, will um, harvest um, either too early or um, with an improper techniques. So this this relates to respecting the resource. and. Oftentimes, if folks get out too early, um, as Chris mentioned earlier, the, the rice, if you are, um, um, if you're taking the, the um, ricing stick and then you're, you're gently um, raking, raking the tops, it should fall very easily into the boat. Um, and if, if the rice is not ripe or ready, it won't fall. And so some people will try to force it by whacking it hard. And then what that does is that will um, take the milk stage of the rice if it's undeveloped, and then it will it could um, impede its growth and development. So it will not uh, mature. And then furthermore, it'll kink the stems of, of the plant if you're really whacking too hard. And I think that's what really gets to some ricers who really know what they're doing or, or who really respect the resources that some others won't um, understand that. So, so folks are, are looking to harvest rice for the first time. You know, one thing I would recommend is, is if you know somebody or if you can get um, lined up with somebody who has done this before, they can really show you the right timing technique that would be, really be helpful. Otherwise you can watch, um, videos online through YouTube's got a lot of great videos on that. And I think um, one thing in DNR that we're working on is to try to come out with more videos that really talk about, you know, the timing and the different stages of growth and and whatnot. So, so stay tuned. Yeah. Related to that. I know um, DNR does a lot of educational programs uh, um, at parks, et cetera. Do you do any um, wild rice harvest 101 type uh, programs or do any of the um, tribes have an organized uh, program like uh, Wild Rice 101, um, learn to respect, learn how to harvest, et cetera? Yeah, I think, uh, I think the tribes have, have done a better job at that. Um, in some cases, they'll have uh, rice camps. Um, you'll, you'll hear that term a lot. And that the rice camp is really um, a, a concept that dates back hundreds of years where 
um, where tribes will um, will travel from lake to lake and then set up camp and, and um, harvest the rice and then process it. But um, uh, I guess the modern term of a rice camp is, or um, a training session is that you'd, you would have somebody who knows what they're doing and then teach a, a group of people. So I've seen some organizations do that as well. As well. Um, DNR ha has not uh, gotten into any sort of proactive sort of training or teaching, but um, you know, that's something we could definitely look into um, in the future here. Uh, and then one other question I had for you guys, you know, we talked about how we have some wildlife that kind of, you know, like to enjoy the rice as well. But do you find any issues with diseases or, you know, weeds, especially, you know, there's concerns with invasive weeds in our lakes, um, rivers, streams, you know, are we seeing any issues with that with rice areas as well? Yeah, so I'll, maybe I'll take the first part of that question first regarding diseases. Um, so there, there is a common disease that affects rice and it's called brown spot disease. And it's a, a fungal disease that um, in some cases can um, essentially wipe out a rice bed. So the, the brown spot will settle in um, late in the summer, oftentimes when, when the rice kernels are maturing or, or during that, that stage. So if you see um, a bed that's been affected, um, as its name would imply, you, you would see the, you know, the green um, leaves of the rice that have all these little brown spots on them. And, and from from a distance, you can even tell the difference in, in some cases if the bed is infected bad enough. And, and so, yeah, that will af affect the, um, the maturity of the grain and, and ultimately it could affect the long-term sustainability of a rice bed on a body of water. So that's definitely a concern and we, um, we don't understand brown spot really well yet, but we suspect that climate change um, is uh, exacerbating the brown spot disease. So. Um, something we definitely um, look out for. Um, other than that, you know, there's, um, there's a, a type of moth that in the larval stage, um, it's called a rice worm that you'll find a lot of times in rice beds. And so I'm sure Chris can attest to this. I'm sure he's had a lot of worms he's dealt with in the past. Uh, um, you'll, you'll find worms and spiders that can tend to bite. And so they, um, you know, they will eat the rice themselves. Um, but you know, this, I guess it's, it's part of the natural system and, and just the way that mother nature intended, I suppose. Um, so you'll find that. Um, so the second part of your question is invasive species. Um, and so, um, one thing to keep in mind is that rice is an annual plant. And so it, it, uh, reproduces totally by seed. And it's, uh, it's like an early successional plant. So in other words, it prefers disturbance. So um, if, if you're able to um, draw down a flowage or do something different with water levels, that will ultimately impact the, the aquatic plant community as a whole, and it gives wild rice an edge. Um, so if you see a, a, an impoundment that's drawn down or in a dry drought year on a, on a natural lake, um, you, you'll see that rice really will flourish in a lot of cases if, if the seed bank is, is still there. So, um, so yeah, wild rice will compete with um, aquatic vegetation. You know, a lot, a lot of times that's native, um, you know, like water shield and, and um, pickerel weed and things of that nature. But um, otherwise, invasive cattails, phragmites um, are becoming a greater concern as those species tend to migrate further northward with climate change, um, as well as uh, Eurasian water milfoil. So those are, um, so really need to manage the aquatic plant community as, as a whole to, to get um, good rice. And some of these, you know, some of the lakes around here anyway, you know, they're taking drastic measures to try to, you know, cut down on the weeds and some of those things. Sometimes they put out you know, chemical or things of that sort, you know, is that a concern, you know, if someone were to put chemical out, is, obviously that may affect the crop as well. Yeah, certainly. So, you know, if anyone is to apply chemical, like uh, um, as a lakeshore owner, for example, you know, they should really check with their, their lakes association to see if there's any um, sort of permits that they've uh, obtained. Otherwise, um, uh, folks need to contact the um, Wisconsin DNR, the aquatic plant management specialist for their area and determine what kind of permits they might need. And so during that screening or review, if you will, 
um, a lot of times um, those um, specialists will check to see if there is rice in the area and sometimes that might affect um, the parameters of that permit or whether or not it's issued at all. Well, you, you mentioned a couple of things. You mentioned climate change, which affects a lot of areas. Uh, Chris mentioned uh, some of the sedimentation may help um, help some of our beds. What is the future of wild rice in, in Wisconsin, the true nat uh, natural or native wild rice? Yeah, so uh, it, it has an uphill battle, I, I think, you know, over, over the decades, you know, we've seen a loss in terms of um, distribution throughout the state and the sustainability of a lot of beds. And, and there's so many different confounding factors that, that affect rice. Um, so another, another one is, is just um, land use and the alteration of, of waterways, water flow, subsurface water and surface water. So uh, roadways, um, culverts, ditches, uh, dams, they, they all affect water flow. And, and oftentimes that's uh, to the detriment of rice because uh, as I mentioned before, rice needs um, certain conditions to thrive, you know, the water depth, the flow, things of that nature. So, so human activity has really altered the landscape, uh, especially in Northern Wisconsin. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's really important to be mindful of, of how those activities are affecting um, our waters. Um, number two, um, I would say is, um, is the use of watercraft on a lot of these waters. So, one important thing is for rice during its growth stages is um, during the late spring, early summer in May and June is, is when rice will germinate. It, it um, comes through the water column and then eventually it reaches the surface. So it's an emergent plant, but before it, it um, emerges from the water, it, there's this stage called the floating leaf stage. And so the root systems are not really fully well developed yet at that point. And, um, so one of the biggest threats is um, watercraft use. And so uh, a lot of times with uh, wakes and wave action, um, that will actually disturb the water column and uproot a lot of the plants. And so you'll also see that from heavy rain events, um, from flooding, and I mentioned climate change as being one of the factors. So those sort of things can um, really wipe out a, white, a rice bed. And a lot of people don't even realize that it, it's happened because they see this um, they might see this plant coming out, but they have no idea what it is. So, um, so it's important to be mindful of that. You know, if, if local um, ordinances can be adapted for, you know, slow, no wake in those areas, in those important rice bed areas, you know, that would really help. Um, so yeah, otherwise, uh, climate change is another big one. And that, you know, there, that affects um, so many different things. Um, um, you know, we were projecting there to be um, um, more um, heavy rainfall events, more flooding that will affect rice. Um, we're, we're dealing with um, in north central Wisconsin and the Highland area right now, there's, there's a long, long term period of, of a high water table. And that has taken a lot of our important historic lakes and that are really suffering right now for rice just because the water is so, so deep in those areas. Um, so that's a big concern. Um, you know, carp, carp is another one. Um, you know, some lakes in Wisconsin, I'll take a, a Clam Lake in Burnett County has been dealing with uh, common carp, um, have been battling those issues. It's been a historic rice water and there's been a lot of contracting efforts to remove the carp on that lake. And um, ultimately carp will um, disturb the sediments and uproot a lot of the rice. And so you, what you saw over decades is that, that those rice beds have been declining, but now, over the last couple of years, I think we've seen um, a good result of those carp control efforts and you've seen the rice come back in a lot of those bays. So, um, so that's another threat and, you know, the list goes on and on, but, um, you know, the department and the tribes are really working together to address those issues the best we can. Great, great. Um, this has been, been super. Um, I, uh, I I learned a lot. I hope uh, our listeners do also. And, and uh, I really appreciate uh, uh, Jason and, and Chris for being on today. Um, um, any last comments uh, that you would have about um, wild rice and that uh, listeners should know? I was going to say any tips that you would have given yourself if you were starting out again? I would say that Jason really nailed the biggest tip that I could provide on 
on harvesting wild rice and, and participating in it. And that is, if you can identify someone who's done it before, like anything to shorten the learning curve. And, um, and I guess I would just, you know, kind of wrap up saying it's a really, really enjoyable activity. And it's uh, a really unique activity here in Wisconsin. And if you've never done it, and you enjoy outdoor recreation, um, and you enjoy harvesting your own food, uh, taking something uh, a natural renewable resource and, and taking it back to, to have later throughout the fall, throughout the winter as a, as a great source of, of food, then I think this is a fantastic activity that you should think more about and explore. And, and uh, the final thought I have is just treat, uh, treat wild rice with, with a high level of respect. And we touched on that earlier, but it's certainly a, a very important resource. And it's also a resource that we have to definitely treat with respect if we want to have it in the future. So um, learn more about it, uh, utilize it, uh, and treat it with respect. And, and, um, and uh, yeah, I encourage anybody to try it that's never done it. Great. Jason, any last comments? Yeah, you know, just uh, do your research. If you're interested in harvesting, you know, if, even if you don't know somebody who's harvested and if you just want to try it on your own, um, uh, don't be bashful. Do your research first. Um, and DNR's got a, a good um, wild rice webpage. Go to dnr.wi.gov. Search for wild rice. That'll bring you right to our page. The regulations are, are all there. A lot of good information and facts. Um, look at, uh, um, watch our video, do YouTube videos, things like that. Um, plan ahead um, before you know it. Um, late August, early September are the peak times for harvesting rice. So um, do your research and planning ahead. And if you're going to harvest, make sure that you have a, a processor lined up ahead of time and communicate with them so you know where you can drop your rice off uh, right away. So you're not wondering what to do with your product. Cool. Uh, Jason and Chris, thank you very much. I think uh, Lane and I have enjoyed this a lot. Um, and uh, it's not our typical um, new crop, emerging crop that we're looking at, but I think uh, we did learn that there are some things we can do to help cultivate, so to speak, uh, wild rice or at least expand beds and, and help the planting. So thank you all. Um, again, this has been the cutting edge of podcasts in search of new crops for Wisconsin, uh, presented by UW uh, Wisconsin uh, Madison Division of Extension. Thanks again, and we uh, hope to uh, see you all again soon. Brought to you by the University of Wisconsin-Madison Division of Extension.